join me tonight in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, it's just past the one and two books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And you'll find it nestled in between the e-books of Ezra to the left and Esther to the right. Well, we've made it to Wednesday. We have. We made it all the way to Wednesday. Pastor, thank you for, I mean this, for the opportunity to uh, stand in your pulpit. Um, I certainly do not uh, take that for granted, having um, charge of the pulpit of Fellowship Baptist Church, if I can put it that way, um, for 20 years. Um, I was pretty protective and pretty particular about um, who had the opportunity to stand and, and speak into the, the hearts and lives of, of our good people. And I certainly am thankful for being able to do that. I always have the same four goals whenever I'm presented with the opportunity uh, to preach somewhere, whether it's on a Sunday or Sunday through Wednesday. Uh, number one, I, I want to glorify God through biblical preaching. Number two, I hope to evangelize the lost. Number three, my heart is to edify believers. And number four, I want to be a help to the pastor. And obviously, um, have, I don't have any control over whether folks get saved. That's above my pay grade. Um, that's not my job. Um, but I do have some control over the other three. In edifying believers and, and glorifying God through biblical preaching and being a help to the pastor. Um, and I trust I've been able to do uh, some of that well uh, to some degree this week. Um, and then let me just say to all of those who had anything uh, to do with the meals this week, whether you cooked or cleaned or set up or tore down or whatever it was you did, it is very much appreciated. Uh, thank you so, so much for that. Um, it was just top shelf uh, every single service. So I'm very thankful for that. If you're willing and able, I ask you to stand one last time with me anyway uh, in honor of God's Word as I read the first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 1. If you're ready to begin, say Amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Kislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept. 
and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Nehemiah's story unfolds during the time when the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The Assyrians swept away the, the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. The Babylonians pretty much decimated the southern kingdom of Israel around the time of 586 B.C. At that time, the temple was demolished, the walls of the city were broken down, and the gates were burned. Many of the leading Jews were taken away captive to Babylon. After several years, the Persians broke the Babylonian supremacy and actually allowed some of the Jews to return home, which they did. Once they got there, they began to rebuild. But the sheer magnitude of the task caused them to give up. Years passed. The city, still broken and burned, was in dire need of repair. Enter Nehemiah, a Jew still in exile whose heart burned for Jerusalem. We just read a moment ago that when Nehemiah found out how bad things were in Jerusalem, it crushed him. And he sat down and he wept and he mourned and he fasted, and he prayed before the God of heaven. And it's the prayer of Nehemiah that I want us to consider during our time together tonight, as well as God's answer to his prayer. Now, if someone were to come up to me tonight and say, Brother Prater, how does prayer work? I would have to be honest with them and say, I don't know how prayer works. But I know that prayer is work. Amen. And I know that those who have worked at prayer have found that prayer works. As we consider Nehemiah's prayer, we're going to discover several valuable principles that I think will aid us and I hope encourage you tonight and challenge you tonight in your prayer. The first of which is praise. Prayer should start with praise. As Nehemiah learned of the terrible conditions in Jerusalem, We've already said this and, and read it, that that news drove him to prayer in verse 4. 
But look at verse 5. Here's what he prayed. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Notice that as burdened as he was, Nehemiah didn't rush right into the presence of God and present to him a list of things that he wanted God to do for him and for his people. No, he began with praise. Nehemiah praised God's position, God's power, God's faithfulness, and God's mercy. And I submit to you tonight that our prayer time should always begin with a, with a time of praise, which Hebrews defines like this. It is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Hebrews chapter 13, I believe it is. The, the praise is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. And again, I submit to you that our prayer time should always include a time of praise. And here's why. Because our God is worthy of praise. Not only, think about this, not only does our praise show that we recognize who God is, but it also takes our focus off of our burdens. As we take the focus off ourselves and begin to place it on God and who He is, and we begin to thank Him for all that, that He's done and, and, and everything that He is, at least for that brief moment in time, we're thinking about something other than the burdens of life. In essence, Nehemiah was saying this about God. I know who you are. And I know what you can do. Because you are great and awesome. You are the God of heaven. Amen. And church, check this out tonight. We pray to the same God. We don't pray to some 21st century version of God. No, we are praying to the very same God that Nehemiah prayed for. And we ought to pray the very same way. Begin your time of prayer with praise. Which again is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Secondly, look at verses 6 and 7. Prayer should include a time of confession. And aren't you glad tonight that our confession is to our great high priest in heaven and not some fallible, imperfect man on earth? Aren't you thankful tonight that you don't have to go and confess your sin to your pastor? We don't have to confess our sin to another man. Our we have a great high priest who hears us and answers us, and we take our sin directly to God ourselves. Amen. Look at verse 6. Nehemiah has praised the Lord, and 
Now he says, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. I would say to you tonight that the reason we continue with confession is simply because we began with praise. Now let me explain that. Anyone who begins their prayer with praise, recognizing who God is in all of His holiness, will not fail to confess their sin because they will recognize themselves in all of their unholiness. Note that Nehemiah said, I and my father's house have sinned. But he didn't stop there. He named each offense. Nehemiah confessed to corruption, to disobedience, and to breaking God's law. And I would challenge you tonight as God's people not to be satisfied with just asking God to forgive you of your sin. Be specific. Call it what it is. Lord, forgive me for my lustful thoughts. Lord, forgive me for lying. Lord, forgive me for cursing. Lord, forgive me for being hateful. Lord, forgive me for being jealous. Lord, forgive me for being angry. Lord, forgive me for being bitter. Lord, forgive me for being self-righteous. You see what we're doing there? We're being specific. Just don't offer some blanket, forgive me of my sins. Take some time and be honest with God and be forthright with God. And be forthcoming with, with your knowledge of your sin that day. I know that you're familiar with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 66. Where he said this, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now someone may read that verse and very understandably ask a question like this. Does that mean that I can't pray unless my heart is sinless? And the answer is no. I mean, think about it. If that were the case, then none of us could ever pray. The word regard there means to cherish and defend. So if we confess our sin, listen, with our mouth, 
but defended in our heart, God will not hear us. Now, Lord, you know I lusted today, but I couldn't help it. It was like just right there. Lord, I, I, I know I got angry today, but, but you know that person always makes me angry. Lord, I, I know that I was hateful today, but come on, I was just having a really, really bad day. You tracking with me? We can't defend our sin and expect God to hear us. A third principle of prayer and one that is often neglected, at least in my prayer time, has to do with the use of God's Word. Prayer should incorporate God's Word. So Nehemiah to this point has praised the Lord. He's confessed his sin. And now look what he does in verses 8 and 9. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, Yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. I love this. Watch this. Nehemiah prayed God's word back to him. He prayed that part to him from the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy where God said, if you forsake me, then I'm going to scatter you. But if you return to me, then I will gather you again. So, so Brother Prater, does that mean that, that, that God is, is, is like forgetful? Do we, do we need to remind him? Of his promises? No. Nehemiah, listen to this. Nehemiah was claiming God's promise that he had made years before. Praying God's word was not for God's benefit. It was for Nehemiah's. Watch this. Don't check out on me. I'm not... I'm not uh, I'm not preaching some, some uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, what is it? I'm just going to say it. Blab it and grab it. That, that's not what I'm... <laughs> prosperity gospel. That, that's, that, that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm telling you to do tonight, okay? But I am telling you tonight to have faith in the Word of God. Praying God's Word back to Him is about praying in faith. Believing. God, You promised this in Your Word 
And I believe it. God, I have faith in you and faith in your word and faith that you will do what you said you would do in your word. And so here's what I would encourage you to do tonight. Find a promise in the word of God that is applicable to your life right now. A need, a situation, a set of circumstances that is that is applicable to what's going on in your life right now and begin praying that promise back to God. For example, my brother and I did not come from a Christian home. Our parents were alcoholics. Our, our home was very, very dysfunctional. I got saved as a result of the bus ministry in 1976. My brother Rick, who has now served as a deacon in Fellowship Baptist Church for probably 30 plus years at this point, got saved in 1977. After I got saved... I began to understand that if my mom and dad died lost, they were going to hell. And that burdened my heart. As any child would feel, you don't want your parents to go to hell. And that scared me. And that bothered me. And it burdened me. So I began coming, going to the altar every service. And I, I, I'm not exaggerating. Every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every revival service, every night of Faith Promise Missions Conference, it didn't matter what kind of service it was, I went forward and I prayed for my mom and dad. I was that guy. That people would look at and roll their eyes. But it wasn't their mom and dad who was going to hell. It was mine. So it didn't matter to me what they thought. I was praying for my mom and dad. And on one of those instances, my pastor came and prayed with me. He knew what I was praying for. Now, back, back, back in the day, they called me Billy. I'm older and more mature now, so it's a bill. But back in the day, it was Billy. That's when they were happy with me. And he came and he knelt beside me and he said, Billy, I, I want to sh show you a verse of Scripture. And he turned to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Where Paul said, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so here's what I began to pray. I began to pray God's word back to him. God, you said in your word that the faith to believe and get saved 
comes through hearing your word. So would you please help me get my mom and dad in church as much as possible so they can hear your word and have faith and get saved. And I prayed that over and over and over. Sometimes I would pray it like this. God, you said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Would you give me opportunities to speak the word of God to my parents? You see what I was doing there? I was taking God's word, a promise that he made, that was divinely inspired. And I'm believing that with all of my heart and I'm praying that back to God, not not to remind God of what he said, but to, to exercise faith in what God had said. There are obviously hundreds of promises in the Bible that you can claim as a child of God and pray back to Him. For example, if you find yourself in a situation, even right now as you're sitting there, a difficult situation where you've you've got a decision to make that's going to impact your home life, possibly your church life, it's going to affect so many things in your life. You've got to make a decision. You're, they're pressing on you to make a decision. You don't know what decision to make. You don't know what direction to turn. You've sought as much counsel as you know to seek. How about you do this? How about you claim the promise of James chapter 1 and verse 5. Where God said that if anyone lacks wisdom. Just ask me. And he promises in that verse that he will generously give you that wisdom and would not scold you or rebuke you for asking. Is that not what it says? That's a promise that if we if we find that, and that by the way, that is that that verse is spoken in the context of going through hard times and difficult times. And when you find yourself in a situation where you just don't know what to do, then get on your knees and say, God, you promised in your word that you would give wisdom to those who ask. And God, I need wisdom because I don't know what to do. If you're troubled and and need peace, there's the promise of Philippians 4, 7. And so you go to the Lord and you pray, God, I need that peace that passes all understanding and that you said would keep my heart and mind. Or how about this one from Hebrews 4? We we looked at it last night. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy And find grace to help in time of need. God, I need some grace. And you said that I could come to you and ask for it. And that you would give it. Is that making sense tonight? Now church, understand this. In order to pray the word of God, 
you got to know the Word of God. And in order to know the Word of God, you got to read the Word of God. You preachers are always the same. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Why are you guys always talking about reading your Bible and pray? Because you need to read your Bible and pray. It's no more difficult than that. We need to read our Bible and pray. That's the only way that we can pray God's word back to him. So that's why your preacher is is constantly or consistently saying, read your Bible and pray, encouraging you at the first year, read your Bible through or whatever it is that encourages you to do. We need to read God's word and pray. Pray. So prayer should start with praise. It should include confession. It should incorporate God's word. And here's the fourth truth about prayer. Prayer asks God for great things. Look at Nehemiah's request in the final verse of chapter 1. O Lord, I beseech thee, Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man would be the king, it would be Artaxerxes, the king. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now church, I want, you to, I want you to get this, please. Note the word mercy. Mercy. And grant him mercy. The Hebrew word there means womb. What Nehemiah, don't miss this. What Nehemiah was asking God to do was to move on the king's heart in such a way that he would see him the same way that a mother would see the son or daughter of her womb. Now here's why that's big. Nehemiah was a slave. Nehemiah was a foreigner who had no right to ask for anything and certainly no reason to believe that the king would even hear him, let alone do what what he was asking him to do, which was to go home to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. So he was asking God to do something really, really big. But he believed God could do it. And he knew that God would have to do it if he had any hope at all of leaving Babylon. And if you will read, we'll not take time to do it, but if you were to read verses 6, 7, and 8 
of chapter 2, you're going to find that the king not only let him leave, (laughs) but made sure that he would have safe passage and that he would have everything he needed to get the job done. See, that's what happens when you pray big prayers. God does exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or what? Think. According to the power that worketh in us. What a verse. That's exactly what he did in the life of Nehemiah. A man by the name of Philip Brooks issued this challenge when it comes to prayer. Probably my favorite quote about prayer. He said, pray the largest prayers. You cannot think a prayer so large that in answering it, God will not wish you had made it larger. And preacher, every time I, every time I think of that, I, I get this mental picture in my mind. I'm down here praying. God's up here listening. And I get done. And he looks at me and says, is that all you got? Is that it? That's like the biggest thing I could do for you? Do you not realize who I am? It's like I created everything. I'm like the God of the universe. There is no other God beside me. And that's the biggest thing you could ask. Well, I don't think God does that, but in my mind, I'm thinking, I have probably prayed some pretty puny prayers. But can I encourage you tonight to do this? Pray big. Pray big. And then finally, pray for as long as it takes. Because prayer doesn't give up. Verse 1 of chapter 2 begins with these words. And it came to pass in the month Nisan... In the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. The month Nisan, if I understand it correctly, would be in close proximity to to our April. Okay, so we've got April. Now look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu. Again, if I understand it correctly, Kislu would be equivalent to our December. And so according to our calendar, Nehemiah got the news in December, immediately began praying in December, And he continued to pray and continued to pray and continued to pray for four months. 
And then God answered his prayer in April. He prayed one month, everything was the same. Two months, everything was the same. Three months, everything was the same. And in that fourth month is when things begin to change for Nehemiah. Now let's go back to the story of me getting saved in 1976 and beginning to pray for my mom and dad. There were occasions that, that they would come to church. Um, we'd have a revival like this and, you know, we would be, get a Bible for the one who brings the most visitors, you know, how they used to do back in the day. And you'd have a pack of pew night or whatever, bring your mom and dad night. And so I would beg my mom and dad and, of course, mom, you know, she, she had a mama's heart and. And so she would talk my dad into coming. And, and every time my dad came to church, he was drunk. And my, my, dad was a, my dad was a funny drunk. My dad was a, my dad was a, a he just wasn't obnoxious. He, didn't, never, he never embarrassed me. As a matter of fact, I'd be on the platform. They'd walk in, they'd sit down, and, and our eyes would, would, would uh, make contact. And every time he would go like this. Like, see, Dad, the roof's not falling in. It's all good. And they would come, and but I remember one. I remember one one revival. We had twenty six people saved, but two of them weren't my mom and dad. Broke my heart. So they would they would come sporadically, and then when I went to Bible college. For some reason, my mom started to come to church every Sunday. She never did it when I was there. But when I went to Bible college, she started coming to church. And I remember when Katie and I joined the staff in 1981, she was, she was still coming every Sunday morning. Brother Landis would, would preach and he'd share the gospel. And well, I don't know how many times I stood as Brother Gary has to sing the invitation. And I'm looking out there and I'm watching my mom. And she just got tears streaming down her cheeks. And she's gripping the pew in front of her. And she would not come forward for anything. My sister-in-law, Ginger, usually... Uh, sat beside her, and, and I, there were uh, on occasion she would I would see Ginger lean over and, and say something to my mom, and uh, my mom would just go, "Man, he broke my heart." And then one Sunday morning we were having a revival, and the preacher preached. And for the first time in a long time, God broke my heart again for my mom. And during the invitation, I hit the altar that morning. And I'm not ashamed to tell you this tonight. I was literally begging God to save my mom. 
Whatever comes to your mind when you think of begging, that's exactly what I was doing. I was weeping, I was crying, and I was literally begging God to save my mom. Much to my shame, I had not prayed that way in a good while. And if you're here tonight and you've been praying for somebody for a long time, you understand what I'm saying. You get to a point. You get to a point where it's like we just kind of go through the motions. And that's where I was. But that morning, God broke my heart anew and afresh for my mom. So I'm down here praying. And I hear Brother Landis say this is the last verse. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. I prayed this, God, please. When I get up from my knees, let my mom be at the altar. And I no sooner got the word altar out of my mouth. And I felt an arm around my shoulder. And I looked to my left and it was my sister-in-law, Ginger. And she said, look who's here. And it was my mom. Amen. I was so overcome with emotion. Yes. I could not lead my own mother to the Lord. Mm-hmm. The Landis had to come down off the platform onto the floor and lead my mom to the Lord. All I could do was weep mm-hmm. and rejoice. Amen. Now church, you do the math. I started praying in 1976. She got saved in 1989. That's 13 years. What if I would have stopped at year 10? Come on. Or year 11? Or gave up after year 13 and said, I'm done. My mom may not have gotten saved and may not be in heaven tonight. Fast forward to 2001. Mom's now gone and dad's just living by himself and years of abusing alcohol and cigarettes uh, have just taken a terrible toll on his health. He's in the hospital. Um, we didn't think he was going to get out. We, we just were sure he was not going to get out. But he did. So I picked him up that day and Drove him down to the little town that I grew up in in Oklahoma, Tyrone. Before I helped him out, I talked to him again about the Lord. I shared the gospel with him again. I mean, I just laid it out there. I said, Dad, you are not ready to die. And I began to share the gospel with him. And I said, Dad, don't you want to get saved? And he he was never mean or belligerent when I would share the gospel. And he wasn't this time. But he looked at me and said, no, not right now. It just crushed my heart. So I helped him into his house and went about my business 
couple weeks later, a family from that little town visited Fellowship Baptist, and Katie and I made an appointment to follow up with them on the following Thursday. So I told Katie, I said, why don't we go down a little early, we'll uh, get some hamburgers and fries from a little restaurant there and take them over to Dad's house and have supper, and then we'll go make that visit. So we did. And um, we're wrapping up supper, and... God didn't text me or speak to me audibly, but he did tell me, you need to talk to your dad again. That's like, Lord, time out. I, I didn't come down here to do that. I haven't got my soul winning A game. Like, I got to get primed for this kind of thing, you know. And God said, no, you need to talk to your dad again. And so I did what anybody else would do. I went into the bathroom and prayed. <laughs> and then I went out into my, my car and I got my little New Testament. Came back in the house. By the time I got back in the house, Katie had the table cleared off. I sat down in the, in the chair at the table and I, I set my Bible down on the table. And I said, Dad, do you remember what we talked about last month? And he looked at me. And he said, I sure do. Let's get her done. Amen. <laughs> and my dad was a truck driver his whole life. He was like, let's get her done. And so when I picked myself up off the floor, <laughs> for the umpteenth time, I opened the scriptures and shared the gospel with my dad. And I watched my dad that night bow his head and humble his heart and pray. His prayer was pretty cool. He said, well, God, I know I'm a sinner, just like a lot of other people out there, but we're talking about me right now. And he continued to pray Ask God to forgive him. Ask Jesus to save him. And when he finished, for only the second time in my life, I saw my dad cry. The first time was at his mom's funeral. The second time was that night. And I mean, his shoulders just started heaving and he just started bawling. And I'm absolutely convinced that when he went in the house the month prior to that, he said to himself, if he ever asked me again, I'm saying yes. Hmm. And that night, he said yes. Yeah. That was in 2001. I started praying for him in 1976. That's 25 years. 13, I prayed for my mom. My brother prayed for my mom. 25 years, we prayed for our dad. And God finally answered our prayer. And I share that story with you tonight to say this. I don't know who or what you're praying for. Or how long you've been praying. 
But my challenge to you tonight is this. Do not quit. Don't quit praying for that lost spouse or that lost child or that lost grandchild or young people, that lost parent. Don't stop praying. Listen, mom and dad, don't stop praying for that wayward son or wayward daughter. Grandma, grandpa, I know it's breaking your heart right now, but don't quit praying for that wayward grandson. Or that wayward granddaughter. Don't quit praying for that fractured friendship to be restored. Or that financial need to be supplied. Don't quit praying for that sickness to be healed. Or for that door of opportunity to open for you. Just don't quit. Look at the person next to you and say don't quit. Don't quit. So let's recap. Prayer starts with praise. Not only does that time give us the opportunity to recognize who God is and thank Him for everything He's done, but it also takes our focus at least for a brief moment off of ourselves and off of our burden and puts it on Him. Prayer should include confession. It should incorporate God's word. Find a promise in the word of God and cling to it. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And pray that and claim that over and over again. And and show that, that you have faith in what God can do. And finally pray big for as long as it takes. Don't give up. So let me ask you tonight. What's the biggest thing that God could do for you right now? I mean, this this very moment on what? October the 18th. What is the biggest thing God could do for you right now? Whatever it is that you're thinking, God can do that. And more. And more. Church, let me ask you collectively, what's the biggest thing God could do right now for Bible Baptist Church? God can do that. So I'll leave you with this. Anything that God has ever done at any time, He can do now. Anything that God has ever done anywhere, He can do here. And anything that God has ever done for anyone, He can do for you. If you believe the Word of God tonight, say amen. Let's stand our feet as we prepare for our time of invitation.